All right. So Andy McWilliams is my guest. And Andy, I told you basically what we're doing here. I, I threw it out there to the message board, the Xavier fan base, and said, give me what topics you want to hear about from Andy Mack. And I let them vote on them. And the ones with the most votes, for the most part, are on this list. Uh, I think there's some good questions here. Feel free to go as long or as short-winded on any of these things as you like. And we'll just kind of keep it a a free-flowing conversation about uh, all of these things. So so thanks for joining us. You look great. You're down a lot of weight, I can tell. Uh, you, You look spry and young over there. I appreciate that. I mean, uh, you know, you keep talking like that and I'm, I'm an open book. I'll answer anything that you want, but uh, I'm glad that actually people remember who I am and there are some votes. You know, I don't know how many there are. Don't reveal the the lack of, of voting interest, but uh, I, do, I do have some opinions. And uh, although we haven't been allowed to go to practice recently, uh, hopefully that will be that will be changing here at the end of the month of September and we can really get eyes on the, the only the only area the only the only time I've had a chance to really look at Xavier players physically is in the softball game and uh, uh, notoriously D1 really good D1 basketball athletes are bad softball players and that was the case again they had a lot of fun out there but I, I was really impressed that uh, uh, Ben Stanley was uh, was playing. He was a left hand catcher, which is a rarity to begin with. <laughs> That's right. But uh, showed a lot of hustle. Had no knee brace on. Ran the bases like a wild coyote. And uh, you know, I, I, I'm bullish. I want to see Ben come back and have a big impact year. And he only had ACL surgery. Uh, what in in early January? He's made amazing progress. Yeah, his body is in incredible shape, which it was last year too. But like you said, I mean, a lot of guys, they have an ACL injury. They're not able to work out that same way, especially a guy with his big bulky frame. You'd expect him to have some extra weight on him. He has absolutely none. I mean, his, his body looked incredible. And like you said, I couldn't believe the way they were letting him fly around the bases and he's skidding and his feet are flying out from under him. And he's behind the, the uh, plate catching and pouncing out from behind to make catches and stuff like that. So uh, I, I agree. That was my big takeaway from the softball game is how healthy Ben Stanley looked. And that's, that's great to see. Cause you hate to see a guy have an injury like that, especially when they're late in their career and they don't have a ton of time left and they're competing for minutes. So it, it, that was a great sign to see him at the softball game like that. You know, and another guy who is in even better shape, but I didn't think this was possible is uh, Paul Scruggs. Scruggs. I've never seen him that lean and, uh, uh, he, he's just uh, prime for a big year. And, uh, the more I look at him, the more he reminds me of uh, like a two-way guard off the bench in the NBA, like uh, Marcus Smart. He's got a career in the NBA ahead of him, and he was smart enough, and Travis was was good enough in his relationships with uh, players like Scruggs and Nate Johnson to have those guys come back willingly. That, that's an endorsement of Travis right there, the way he handles his players. Uh, look at Kiki Tandy. He, you know, he checked the... Uh, the transfer portal, the grass was not greener. The, the, the big rumor was he was going to Vanderbilt, but they've lost everybody except for what Scotty Pippen Jr. is the only one back there. And uh, and Deontay Miles, his family wants him to succeed. He wants to succeed, but uh, he didn't transfer. He's back. So all, those four guys right there, it's all trust in Travis, trust in the uh, trajectory of the Xavier program. Uh, the super seniors, uh, Paul Scruggs, Nate Johnson, uh, Kiki coming back off the portal, uh, just a ball of talent. You've got to figure out how, how to, who's he going to guard and what position is he going to play, I guess. And Deontay, who could be, I mean, the few brief times we've seen him, he runs like a deer. He, he could be uh, a classic rim protector, rebounder. He's a lefty, uh, so he, you know, he, he's going to be deceptive in shooting the ball. I mean, th- those guys, I mean, coming back, that that's an endorsement of uh, the way Travis runs his program. Yeah, definitely. You were talking about the physical progress of some of the guys that stood out. The one other name that I thought really made strides, and you can see a noticeable difference as soon as you, you see him, is Adam Kunkel. You know, last year, oh. he was so slight of frame, and that really seemed to play a role in him being able to get his shots off. And, I mean, really, he made some plays still, even against Big East competition, but it seemed like he was able to get knocked off his spot a lot and just didn't have the strength he needed. This year, he's got more of a V-shape to him. His shoulders look noticeably wider and bigger, and and I think that's going to be a huge key for him. 
he looked like he had a growth growth spurt to me. He looked taller. He looked, as you say, much more athletic. And uh, there's a guy who's very enthusiastic. Uh, he's bought into the program. And uh, his background at Belmont uh, will uh, would uh, put him in good stead anywhere he goes. But he's a local kid. And uh, I think he's going to have a big year. I mean, he can score. He, he's not just a spot up, you know, I got to have two feet to, to get my shot off. Uh, you got to run the play from me. He can make his own shot. He hit, hit that game winner last year, early in the big, was it early in the big East season? I forget who he beat right before uh, the uh, first of the year. I forget. Yeah. PC. Maybe it was PC. Oh, uh, Marquette. Marquette. Yeah. Colby Marquette. had a big shot. The roster is loaded and uh, I, I'm extremely bullish. Yeah, absolutely. And and the other thing about Adam Kunkel that I've heard a lot, and I've known him since he was at Cooper High School, and I was covering Northern Kentucky preps for the Enquirer at the time, and, and his team won the ninth region tournament, went on to play at state. But he is a great connector in the locker room. Teammates really like playing with him. And I've heard since he's been at Xavier, he's been really good for the young guys. He he really takes the freshmen under his wing and makes them feel like they're part of the group and is really about the right things and positive uh, culture in the locker room and the, the coach has been really impressed with him from that perspective. So they he'll have all the opportunity in the world to succeed. They really want to see him succeed because they want him to stick around. They, they love the presence that he has in the locker room, but obviously there's so much competition and talent that uh, the minutes aren't going to be easy to come by there in that backcourt. Hey, another guy that we should uh, bring up and give kudos to for his, his physical prowess is part of the program. He's not a player. Uh, Jonas Hayes has dropped a bunch of weight and he cracked two legitimate out of the ballpark home runs off Travis Steele. Now Travis did admit he laid the ball in there for Jonas, but Jonas did the work, took the swing, cracked the ball over the, the left field wall there at Hayden field. And and he, he picked it at first base too. He looked like uh, the big hurt uh, Frank Thomas to me. Yeah, no, he really did. He was impressive. Uh, I was initially impressed by the defense, like you mentioned, and picking it over there at first base, but back-to-back home runs in, in two consecutive oh. plate appearances. And, I mean, we're talking about a baseball field. He's hitting slow-pitch softball way out of a baseball field, and they weren't just, like, just over the wall. They were bombs. They and were gone. I, they were on Victory Parkway. I believe the only other person who's hit one out was Chris Mack when he was coaching I think here. O'Mara. O'Mara. O'Mara hit one? one out. Okay. So yeah, it's only it's only been a couple of times and he hit it twice in one game. That was an impressive feat. All right. Well, let's get into a, a couple of these topics. And the, the first one is about this roster this season. What is your biggest question marks around this roster? We've talked so much about the talent and the depth and the skill, and everyone's excited about the possibilities. What's the biggest question mark or hole in your opinion? Hey, I mean, 13 players who have a legitimate uh, argument uh, and a chance to uh, to grab minutes. I mean, you can't play 13 guys. Uh, who in in college basketball in the last uh, two or three decades has been, been able to play two units? Uh, Arkansas, uh, Nolan Richardson, 40 minutes of hell, I think of that. And uh, the guy at Tulane, I can't remember his name a few years ago. He played two units. Yeah. Calipari uh, did it a few years back. It didn't work out all that well, but. Yeah. yeah. So I think at some point, uh, Travis is going to make some really tough decisions once he gets into the Big East, maybe before that, because of all those uh, NET tier one win possibilities that come up in the, in the non-conference. But, you know, maybe eight, maybe nine, maybe, maybe 10. But uh, they're going to be some disappointments, and I know right now the the team chemistry is is tight. Uh, like you say, Conkle's a leader. Uh, I think Scruggs and Nate Johnson. There's a lot of good experience here, and uh, I think they're they're going to be focused on team goals. But you know, if 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 you're playing well and you're playing with talent and you can't crack the lineup, that's that's that that's I mean. Maybe you can be quiet and be a team guy, but sooner or later, that's gonna that may cause some uh, some distress in the in, in the dressing room. Well, and I think kind of piggybacking off of that, you talk about the rotations, and you also have this win for the now versus develop your program and continue because you've got a guy, for instance, like Dwan Odom. And in a normal circumstance, Dwan Odom would be your starting point guard going into this year without question. I mean, with what he showed last year and the type of talent he is, almost any normal year, he'd start as a sophomore. But because you have these super seniors coming back, 
He's probably not going to be in the starting lineup, even if he's playing starter-like minutes. You know, Travis Steele's going to, that's something he's going to have to balance because you don't want to stunt Dwan Odom's progress as a, as a player and his development while he's still in your program. You don't want to waste the years you have with them. At the same time, you certainly understand that Paul Scruggs is experienced one of your best players and Nate Johnson is going to need a lot of minutes and you have Adam Kunkel. So I think that's going to be a big part of this team's story this year is how Travis handles those rotations and also the development of some of the younger guys. I can uh, easily see Travis uh, playing three guards with uh, Odom at the point, Scruggs and Nate uh, in the starting lineup. I mean, he has lineup versatility, that's for sure. But if it hadn't been for COVID last year, it's my opinion, both Colby Jones and DeWan Odom would have started from day one. They would have been in the starting lineup. Uh, there's there's no doubt in my mind the way they were practicing, uh, the, the, the things that Travis was saying, the performance on the court. I mean, Odom is such a good two-way player. You, you saw some of the key plays he made early in the year before the first COVID pause, and then late in the year, the Butler game. Man, I, that that guy is a great a great defender, and the only chink in, in Odom's armor is uh, the three-point shot, and he has been working uh, overtime to, to, to at least make make himself a three-point threat. If you've got to go out and guard him and spread the defense to account for Odom from three-point range, maybe like maybe a little better than Q used to shoot it. I mean, he had a couple of games like at, at Creighton, Quentin Good, and when they had to account for him, they didn't, but he knocked, he knocked them down. But uh, uh, Odom's been working with a lot of people. I mean, Brad Redford has been brought in here and who better to, uh, to consult uh, Travis has has gone deep and uh, you know you don't want to overemphasize it and and make uh, Odom uh, you know super super sensitive in that he's a very mature player passes the ball well defends gets to the rim against anybody I mean he's got to be unless he's injured he's got to be a huge contributor and you know back to the softball game he looked totally comfortable as a leadoff hitter he walked up there and <laughs> It reminded me a lot of uh, Jonathan India, to be honest with you. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I like Odom. I think Odom is he's going to play. He's going to play at the next level, and uh, uh, he's got to be on the floor for thirty minutes a game. I, I really like him too. I think, like I said, it's going to be tough to balance how you fit all these guys on the court. Because I mean, Colby Jones has to be in the lineup too, in my opinion. I think he's almost a certainty to start, whether it's at the three or the four, however you figure that out. But then you've got Freeman on Nunji. So, I mean, it's, you know, when you start trying to figure out, you've really got six starters at least, maybe seven. And I, I don't know exactly what order they come into the game at. And Travis will have to figure out how, how that best balances out. But the one thing you were talking about with Odom's shot and all the work he's put in, I think that's maybe the coolest thing that I've heard this offseason in terms of we've done some interviews, things like that. And, and one of the things that Travis Steele told us was that they reworked his shot from the ground up and they, they gave him the visual of Kawhi Leonard, the, the NBA superstar who was not a great shooter in college, came into the NBA and had a weird kind of robotic shot similar to Dwan's. And they, he's really improved and become a, a consistent three-point threat. And that's what they sort of gave him to focus on and try to emulate that form of shooting. I thought that was a great visual, not just for Dwan, but for the fan base to kind of see what he's trying to get to. And the other thing Travis said is that you can't do that with a player unless they fully buy in. A lot of guys this far along, they're this successful. They don't want to change the way they've shot the ball their entire life. And he said Dwan never questioned it for a second. Yeah, I think... Uh... You know, that's an important consideration. He is uh, very coachable, extremely coachable. I think he realizes what he has to do to get to the next level. He's got the physical skills, the penetration ability. He, he certainly can D up. He can play defense, put pressure on the ball. And, uh, you know, he has, has verticality, uh, you know, off the charts. But to play point guard in the NBA, I mean, you've got to be a threat from three-point uh, range, at least to spread the defense, and you got to make your free throws. And uh, those are the areas that, uh, you know, it's re repetitive. It's you, you got to be in the gym throwing up a lot of shots from the line and from, from outside the arc, and he's willing to do it. I mean, he, he's, a, he's a worker. He's a, a very intelligent kid.
the one final note I'd say on him is the other thing I loved when he was in games last year is he was very clutch late in games as a oh. finisher. There's runners, the the kind of not layups, but finishes from the mid range, the short to mid range. He was excellent in late game situations, doing that, drawing contact, getting to the free throw line. And, and I think that's something that really gives you a lot of hope as a fan, because it kind of reminds you of that two Holloway mindset of like when the game's on the line, you know, he'll take over and, and make the right decision and make the right play. You know, if Dewan hadn't had a couple of run-ins with uh, COVID last year, I think he's right there with Posh Alexander as uh, the best uh, point guard, you know, young point guard in the Big East. And Posh Alexander is getting all sorts of kudos. I mean, first team Big East and leading St. John's back to the NCAA tournament. He's a great player, but I think Odom is a a better athlete by far. And uh, certainly... uh, is is on a par defensively with Paj Alexander. Odom is he he's not getting you know I, I'm sure he'll earn that respect. And Colby Jones, first team Big East all freshman. Yeah, Col- Colby is it, it, he's not like a, a me 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 guy. He's a team guy. He really deferred to the the veteran players. That look how that look how those guys played in that Butler game. And I think Travis. If he, if he could redo anything, maybe, and I mean, I'm speaking for him, uh, I would have played the, the freshman in the second half. I mean, I would have stuck with him. Agreed. Uh, and uh, I mean, uh, uh, Jason Carter was a little undersized and he had the, you know, the injury and all that, but he, I guess he made the decision he was going to go with, with Carter come hell or high water and it did, you know, it didn't work out. That, that, that game, you know, should have been, uh, should have been salted away, but uh yeah, the, the only downside on the roster is that C.J. Welcher is a guy that I, I watched in practice a lot, and they, they praised his shooting, and it really didn't. And, and, and the cups of coffee he got, the shooting really wasn't as – how can you expect it to be? But he has – he had a, like an inner nastiness and a, a real basketball sense. I think he's going to be a great player at Nebraska. And that's a pack – that's got to be a package deal with his brother. Well, yeah, and I don't know if that'll turn out or not, but C.J. – I agree with you. I thought he was a really nice piece going forward, but I think the issue for him and understandably so is where do his minutes come from this year? Yep. At sure. best, it's likely as the backup power forward again, which he clearly doesn't believe is his position. And quite honestly, Travis Steele showed last year that he didn't think he could really do it because he'd yank him out so quick because they felt they were giving up too much size and rebounding and defense. I think when he was in at the four, but realistically, who's he playing ahead of at the one through three this year or next, you know? So, I mean, I think he probably made the right decision for himself to to put himself in the best situation for opportunities and minutes right away. But I agree with you. From a depth perspective, he would have been a nice piece for this team to have because I think he's going to be a, a heady player and a really solid college player in his career. But it, it just didn't work out, and that, that sometimes happened. We're talking you can't, a- it can't keep everybody. I mean, you can't keep everybody happy. There's no way. And uh, – uh, the leverage has sort of uh, shifted big time to the player here. You're going to see a lot more roster movement, as we saw in the transfer portal. It may settle down. And, you know, Fred Hoiberg, they don't call him the mayor for nothing. The guy's a silver-tongued devil. He presented his case, all the things you mentioned to C.J. Wilcher, and he went for it. So, so be it. Yeah. Um, we're talking a lot about Travis Steele's rotations and how he's going to handle all of that. I think one of the big storylines of this season, because there aren't a lot of holes going into the year for Xavier and there aren't a lot of question marks about their starting lineup and and where the production is going to come from, is going to be Travis Steele himself and where he's at as a coach. What have been your general thoughts on the Travis Steele era and the future going forward for Travis Steele at Xavier? I I think Travis uh, checks a lot, a lot of boxes. His rock is recruiting. How many head coaches who... Uh, have risen to the to, to the high D1 level after three or four years, still want to be out on the road. I mean, most of these guys are kissing the ring back on campus. Yeah. Travis, that's that's his that's his uh, wheelhouse, and he's done a terrific job in recruiting. I think you know he is very honest with his players, and that that's one reason why Nate and and Paul and Kiki Tandy and Deontay uh, Miles are still around. I mean, he, he's not blowing smoke and, and making promises that he, he really can't deliver. That's a difficult thing to do in a business like uh, uh, high-level D1 basketball because so many people are lying to players out there and doing whatever it takes to get their name on the dotted line and get them in the gym. 
But uh, I think uh, Travis has learned a lot as far as game strategy. I, I mean, you know, the, the big argument with, with Travis, he needs an old head on the bench to uh, help him with the game situation. He's seen zillions of hours of basketball at all levels. That That's not the case. That's not the case at all. I think he's run into some, I'm not making excuses, but he's run into some tough situations in his first three years at the end of the season. Like uh, the first year, I mean, they, they were uh, they were not a very deep roster. They had some talent. He went out and got those three transfers, and they all fit in on their various – Zach uh, Hankins probably should have been in the lineup earlier, but he was a little bit of a, a difficult head case to deal with. <laughs> that's for sure. But when Hankins and Tyreek were together with the Scruggs and Nate and, and uh, uh, Najee Marshall and who was the uh, – uh, and Q was the other – the other star that that was that that team should have won the NIT. If Quentin Gooden hits two free throws at the end of regulation at Texas, they win. Uh, Texas blew through the rest of the, they would have won the for what it's worth. They would have been the 69th best team in the country. <laughs> and then the next year, the, the COVID year, when they pulled the plug on the tournament at MSG, Scruggs got injured right before the Providence game. They lose the Baylor game because. Scruggs wasn't in the lineup. PC was playing the best basketball in the league with Scruggs. That game goes right down the wire because Najee Marshall could only guard the point guard or uh, the the other good player. What's his name? The one, the small forward. Anyway, uh, okay, so they lose those games and, uh, you know, they they don't make the turn. And uh, was it last year? Nate Johnson goes down. And they're one and four down the stretch. I think they were two and six after that long COVID pause. The COVID breaks were the worst. I mean, they were an 11-2 team uh, coming off a blowout win against the good Oklahoma team. And uh, then, you know, COVID pause after COVID pause. I think they played one game in like five weeks. It was ridiculous from a, a momentum-killing strategy. So, and, and, and back to the first year for Travis, you know, they lost to – uh, Villanova in overtime in the second round at, at MSG. And it was a horrible block charge call with uh, Gillespie getting the edge over Nashi. I mean, they win that game. They're in the NCAA tournament. That's for sure. They go to the Big East final and, you know, they'd beaten Creighton. So I think Travis has had uh, pretty horrible luck. But, you know, the bottom line is his record in the Big East is what it is. He has not had an over 500 record in the Big East, and this is the year that uh, they got to do it. I think on paper, uh, even the uh, uh, the national magazines have Xavier number three in the league behind Villanova and UConn. But Villanova and UConn both have lost very, very key parts. The big guy for Villanova is uh, Robinson Earl is in the NBA. I mean, he he's a key to he was a key to he's a key to a Jay Wright team. When they play their best, they have the big guy uh, on the back line as a rim protector. They can play more of that uh, two-thirds court soft press, which really is a key to their team. They played very little of that without Ochefu, without Omari Spellman. Uh, since they won in 2018, they have not been able to play that that type of game. Uh, and they may not now without uh, without uh, Robinson Hurl. And Book, uh, Book Knight is gone for UConn. I mean, 19 points a game. The guy's a magic scorer. I don't think they've got some great players. Uh, R.J. Cole, I, I really like Tyrese Martin, the yeah, small, small forward. They have uh, Polly and uh, uh, Whaley and all those guys and the young the young guys. But uh, I, I sort of like Xavier to, 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 to give Villanova, to finally beat Villanova in Philadelphia this year. I think that would be, uh, that, that would be appropriate. Well, and that would certainly change the narrative around about Travis Steele in a hurry if, if that happens. Um, I, I guess, you know, it, there's the the big question for everyone is, will they make the tournament or not? And that kind of decides everything. I'm of the mindset that Travis Steele isn't on the hot seat necessarily this year regardless. I don't think he's going anywhere after this year, whether they make the tournament or not. But that being said, I do think there is something to the idea that if you miss the tournament for a fourth year in a row – despite all the other factors and mitigating circumstances that you mentioned, and they are legitimate in a lot of cases, they're still, you're still going to lose a certain segment of your supporters. And some of those may even include big money boosters that 
lose a lot of faith if you don't make the tournament this year with this loaded of a roster with this many returning guys. So I do think it is a really important year to at least make the NCAA tournament. Um, but I don't think that should be a problem for this group. I think they're in good shape. I don't think X's and O's are a question at all for Travis Steele. I think he's actually very good at that. I think maybe his biggest question mark and biggest fault to this point, I think there are two of them. One is I think he's been maybe loyal to a fault with certain guys and too stuck in, you know, these are the guys that have performed the best in practice and they're the most experienced. So we got to stick with them and they give us our best chance. Like you mentioned, the Jason Carter situation, that Butler game where the young guys came in, clearly were finding the rhythm, the momentum and playing well. And he had to go back to the starters and stick to what he felt was their best chance. I don't always agree with that. I, I'm, I think sometimes you got to get the feel and learn to play the hot hand a little bit better and and go with the flow and and give some of the younger guys a chance maybe and not be as loyal to some of your seniors or, or older players. The other thing that I think his teams have to prove, and I don't know that this is his fault. I mean, tra- Chris Mack was trying to backfill that roster after J.P. McKeera and Trayvon Blewett with shooters every year that he was recruiting. He was trying to, he knew at some point they needed to be replaced. You know, Kaiser Gates was an option for a little bit, but you needed to have some shooters on that wing and he wasn't able to get it. You know, Jared Ritter didn't work out. He went back home. Um, the uh, kid from Georgia that that went back home that everybody loved. I'm drawing a blank on. Um, but each of these guys, uh, Elias, Harden. Elias Harden, Elias Harden. Yeah. Thank you. Each of these guys, they tried to grab problem with the marijuana. Yeah, that's right. Um, all of these guys didn't pan out as the shooter on the wing that was going to backfill that roster. And so you ended up with a roster that didn't have any shooting. And so Travis tried to get those immediate guys like uh, they tried to get a guy like Ryan Wellich through the transfer portal and get the quick fixes in there. And they just weren't quite enough until this past year. Nate Johnson was a really nice guy. I think Adam Kunkel was a good multi-year guy that you were able to, to start to add. So, I think they're in a good position going forward from a three-point shooting perspective. I think he's finally gotten the roster into a good spot there, but they have to prove it. it at some point, it's going to be like, does your system just not work? Is there some something about your system that doesn't allow you guys to shoot well? Are you not getting good enough looks? What is it? Because they, for three straight years, have been really bad three-point shooting teams, and that's just a really hard way to win in today's game, whether it's college or NBA. Yeah, uh, you know, the Big East is not a one-bid league, obviously. <laughs> and uh, I, I think, you know, in, in the worst year since uh, Xavier has been involved, uh, four teams have gone to the uh, NCAA. I would expect at least four, maybe five this year. There is some uncertainty toward the bottom of the league with uh, DePaul, obviously, Marquette, uh, Creighton. There's a, there's a lot of f- flux at, at Georgetown, et cetera. But uh, I think Xavier should be safely in the top four and uh, uh, certainly, you know, a a good shot at being number three. And uh, they got to go over 500 in the league. I mean, it's it's an 11 team league. So you're going to play 20 league games. They need uh, like 12, 12 and eight, uh, 13 and seven, maybe 11 and nine. I I, I would think 12 and eight would be a a good target. And uh, the non-conference shapes up with a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, tier one uh, NET possibilities there and some victories in, in those early games set your N- uh, uh, the, your NET in, in a really attractive place going into the league. And if the league cooperates and, and locks in their, their uh, league-wide NET, then you're, you're in great shape. And, uh, and I think that there are enough parts here, certainly, uh, and there, there, there's going to be some growing pains in in working out the rotations and trying to keep everybody happy. But uh, this is going to be a much better shooting team. I think it's a deeper team. It's going to be a larger team, physically a stronger team. And uh, a lot depends on how much you can play Nunji. Where does he fit in? Because uh, is he he going to be healthy? He's he's had a couple of knee uh, operations. Can Ben Stanley be ready to step right in and uh, create that havoc that he has the potential to create, and uh, he can certainly score the ball. And uh, is Deontay Miles going to be? This is a you know, it's sort of a crucial year for him. It's his third year in the program, and he has to stay healthy and he has to contribute. He has to find a way to get on the floor and and impact as a rim protector and rebounder and outlet guy. 
Yeah, and can Jerome Hunter add any immediate offense off the bench from three-point range? Because that Yeah, yeah, Hunter is he's supposed to be a terrific shooter. He's bigger than they thought he was, and he gives you a, uh, a tough, uh, difficult-to-defend shooting platform at the three. Xavier's been victimized by those big threes, that uh, the big three men who come in, the six, seven, six, eight guys, they can't guard them. Now Hunter gives Xavier that that potential weapon uh, out there, uh, you know, on the perimeter. And, well, and, uh, and with all the three guard lineups that we were talking about, I can see him a lot playing alongside Zach Fremantle. And now you got two face up guys in the front court because, like you mentioned, Hunter's a little bigger than they thought, and he really rebounded pretty well off the bench there at Indiana. So you add him and Fremantle in the same front court, you got two guys that can play that five out system and really be a threat on the perimeter. Hunter uh, basically lost his freshman year at IU because of the leg problems. And last year, he, he started, I think, their last six games, played very well, played uh, pretty well off the bench in the month of January for Archie Miller at IU. He had a, a couple of big games against Ohio State. Uh, I looked at the, the game by game. He, he, he put up some nice numbers both off the bench and as a starter. And uh, he, he came in early after he uh, uh, signed as a, as a transfer. He's worked a lot with uh, the veterans uh, in, in, you know, individual workouts. And now he's obviously part of the, part of the team, but I, I think his, you know, he was a top, what, top 50 out of high school, top 75. So yeah, somewhere around there. That's right. Yeah. I think he could, he could be a, a, a real factor. All right. We've, we've talked a lot about the current team. I've, they've got some throwback questions here for you. I know this is taking a while. I don't want to take up your entire afternoon here, but let me get a couple of these older topics in and we'll start with, we just talked about Travis Steele, but who do you think was Xavier's all-time best coach? All-time best coach? Well, uh, he's, uh, you know, one of my better friends is Pete Gillen. Uh, Pete had a great nine-year run here. He sort of, he ramped Xavier up to have success in the NCAA tournament. And that sort of set the table uh, for the move to the Atlantic 10. And, uh, you know, Pete was really comfortable with his, uh, the formula he put together, you know, coming out of the MCC and making the tournament. I don't think he was necessarily that comfortable with the A-10 move, which he knew was coming. So, uh, and for personal reasons, he moved on to, to Providence. But uh, yeah, Pete, uh, uh, I talk with him frequently and, uh, you know, he, he was, uh, uh, I think, uh, uh, it, it was a watershed uh, hire. It was either Pete Gillen or Tim Gergerich. And uh, that, that was the choice. It came down to that. And luck, thank God they hired Pete. <laughs> they made the right call. We'd, we'd be NAIA if Ger- Gergerich had been, been the hire, I'm afraid, because he, he was uh, sort of like uh, steeped in the Jerry Tarkanian uh, uh, philosophy. But uh, yeah, Gillen, and you know, uh, uh, Sean Miller did a great job of uh, stepping up the schedule and uh, also going to the pack line defense. And the uh, uh, Xavier, you know, played at a higher level with uh, with uh, Sean Miller, and uh, uh, he did a great job. Every coach along the line has has you know added some tweaks, and it's been an improvement. It's been a, it's been a great trajectory for Xavier since. Uh, well, oddly, since I got involved in 1983, which that was the key. total coincidence, <laughs> but uh, you know, Stack really pulled Xavier out of out of the trash heap, and they got into a conference, and then they got into the NIT, and then they got into the NCAA, then they won NCAA games, then they moved to the A10, and uh, uh, got to a Sweet 16, and you know, on and on and on. It's been boom, 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 boom. There've been very few setbacks. And uh, Travis is well aware of this. This is the year that, uh, as you say, I mean, uh, he hasn't been above 500 in the league. And you can, uh, a lot of people won't take a deep dive and look uh, at the reasons. And maybe they consider them excuses. But uh, I think Travis uh, has really set the table for a great year. And uh, Philadelphia may be, you know, uh, too high. It may be K2. It may be... uh, Mount Everest. I don't think so. I think there, there's a possibility of, of, of at least competing with them. UConn without the uh, book night, uh, they have all these, these uh, super young guys, they say, but uh, I think that they're beatable. 
I, I like Xavier to be in the top three in the Big East. And if they're in the top three in the Big East, they're in the NCAA. What about your uh, best Xavier team since 2000, in your opinion? Best Xavier team since 2000. Jeez. I, you know, there, let's see. There was the well, 2018 played what UCLA in the uh, in, in the Elite Eight. That's right. Yes. Yeah. All right. That year, Xavier was the fifth best team in the country. They happened to match up against the UCLA with uh, all the studs. They had what, Kevin Love. Was he on that team? Yes. Russell and, Westbrook. And, and Russell Westbrook and yep. uh, Drew Holiday. Yeah. Yep. I mean that, that they were. If they had a little better matchup in in the the Elite Eight, they might have made the Final Four, but that was a really – the only guy on, on that team that really, from Jump Street, played with those guys was Derek Brown. Uh, Derek Brown, elite athlete. The next year, in 09, uh, they should have beat Pitt and, yeah. and, and advanced Levance to play Fields. Villanova at, at, in Boston in the Elite Eight, and I think they could have beaten that Villanova team. That was you know, not a, a super, super Villanova team. The 2000 – Let's. What was the the year? Uh, if uh, uh, the guy from Indiana uh, had been eligible, if if Tommy Crean had not. Uh, oh, Jordan Crawford. If Crawford had been eligible, and, and yeah. if, if Indiana had stayed out of it, and if Crean hadn't bitched, he would have played. He wouldn't got would have gotten immediate eligibility because Indiana wanted to get rid of him. They wanted yeah. every vestige of uh, uh, of Sampson removed from that program you're talking about 2008 2009 that pittsburgh year yeah if crawford had played on that team with Derek brown with dante with with the rest of that group that team would have been what shoulda woulda coulda they would have been the best yeah i think they would have i I agree with that 100 2009 draw in the nc they would have been a, a final four team I agree with you 100%. If you add Jordan Crawford to that 2009 team, you know, we're talking CJ Anderson, BJ Raymond, Derek Brown, Dante Jackson, Jason Love, um, a freshman Kenny Freeze, a freshman Terrell Holloway, a sophomore Jamel McLean, a freshman Brad Redford. I mean, you're talking about a loaded squad with Jordan Crawford in there. I think that's the best savior team of all oh. time if he's a part of it. They were 12th in the nation in Ken Palm defense efficiency. And, you know, Crawford would have had some uh, tough lessons to learn. And he did. He did early in that year. He was not, a, you know, really it was all me, 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 shoot it, shoot it. They, 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 had, they were pretty tough on him. And he, he transformed himself and, uh, you know, became a, a team guy toward the end of the year. Well, he transformed himself. They also transformed themselves when they realized he was yeah, really he, that dude and he really should be taking those shots. He only scored like 20 points a game or whatever it was. The yeah, guy they, was a magic scorer. They figured out how to play alongside him once they just respected how darn good he was. Yeah, he was so. just, I mean, he put the ball in the hole. He made a defensive play in the, in the crosstown shootout that year. It was like, it was like a video game. I mean, he, he lost the ball on a steal and the, the guy, the UC guy, I forget who it was, might have been Born Ready, whatever that yeah, guy's Lance name was. Yeah, Lance Stevenson. Had the ball. He was going in for a, a breakaway dunk. Uh, Crawford caught him, passed him, stole the ball back, and went the other way. Like, boom. It was, it was like, it was electric. It was, I mean, he could do anything on the court. If, if he could play well with others, he'd be an NBA all-star right now. But, he, you know, he, go, he goes into an NBA situation and, and bails people out and then, he can't get along with them, and he's on to the he's on to China, and he just won't he commit at all to the defensive end. And that's why I go yeah. back to that 2009 team. If you put him in that mix, oh. they were so they were elite defensively. Yeah. They just lacked a little firepower on offense. They were about 60th in offensive efficiency. You add him to that team, and all of a sudden they can make up for his defensive breakdowns. You know, because he can just add the scoring that they would have needed. That would have been the best team. As it sits, I currently have. The 2018 team followed closely by the 2003 team. Even though that 2003 team didn't make the run, they lost to Maryland. They were a three seed and lost to Maryland. I think that team's slightly better than the 2004 team that made the run because it has David West on it. Yeah, that was uh, David's uh, senior year. Yeah. If uh, in the Duke game in the Elite Eight in 2004, if Coach K hadn't called those ACC officials over, 
He could. He, <laughs> I give him credit. He tried everything. He had some decent front line guys. He tried everything against uh, Anthony Miles. Uh, Anthony Miles and yeah. Miles had that wicked up and under move that the, they couldn't solve it. All their guys were in foul trouble. Those officials were so eager to. They tried to call two fouls on the same possession against Anthony Miles after uh, Coach K. You know called uh, Mike Kitts and those guys, the guys, the guy who's the, the uh, referee in chief in our league now. Uh, oh, he, he was part of that crew. Uh, Cahill. Cahill. Yeah. yeah. Call John call. Nice guy. He's a lawyer. Probably sue me, but uh, <laughs> he called those guys over and then they file, they, they foul uh, miles out of the ball game. If miles plays, you know, 30, 32, 34, they win that game. Oh, yeah. I'll never forget Gus Johnson was calling that game, and I, he's an exciting announcer. Whatever, Savior is down one, and uh, somebody turned the ball over, and he goes, "Oh, now Duke can look ahead to their matchup." We're like, "It's a one-point game with you know 94 seconds left. Come on, Gus, you know it's it's still possible." But they they had Duke on the ropes big time. Oh yeah, now, like you said, I mean that game was. One is that in some ways slipped to their fingertips, it felt like, but in a lot of ways it felt like it was ripped from their hands by oh. by the officials the way it went down. And um, again, I go back to Anthony Miles was great in that, that season and that game, but I go back to that the year before when they had David West in the middle. In some regards, that, that 2014 played a little bit better together, it seemed like, but I still think overall I'd take the 2003 team because of the talent. David West was just so damn good in college. The heart, the heartbreaking loss was uh, the, the game down in Nashville against uh, Florida State. You know? Yeah, I mean, twenty eighteen. Uh, you're talking first about first off. Trayvon was I don't know if he was injured. The the floor down there was super slippery because you know that the building in Nashville is a hockey building. All right, they had they had the little thin stuff over the. They didn't take the ice out for the for the NCAA tournament. And the floor was sweating like a son of a gun. Poor Trayvon couldn't make his moves. He was slipping. And Makura played the game of his life. I mean, the officials, again, took away uh, two great defensive plays from JP. I mean, it just, it was sinful. It was, I give Florida State the credit. They made adjustments for the the year previously when Xavier blew them out. They were a good ball club. But uh, that that was a hell of a way for JP and Trayvon to, to end their careers right there. And yeah. you knew, you know, in the background there, is Mac going to go to Louisville? Yeah, well, that, I think that hurt also. Yeah, yeah. No, that was – I was surprised to see that team go down that way because, again, in my opinion, that's the best Xavier team in history, even though the way things played out. And there's two reasons I really think that. One, I think at the end of the day, have the best offense you can. That that usually will get you farther than having the best defense. That team was elite offensively. They were top 10 in the country in offensive efficiency. Defense wasn't as good as some of the other teams we talked about, but that elite offense is just something special. And the other thing is they put together that impressive season with only four losses during the regular season while playing the Big East schedule. This wasn't in the A-10 like these other teams. You know, this was in the Big East. That's just... A, a level of consistency that it's something else compared to the A-10 where you've got night off, night off. Okay, we've got one big game against uh, St. Joe's or a, a Richmond team that we should be eight to ten points better than if we, we play our best. You know, it's just not the same. So in, that, in those leagues, you're worried about avoiding pitfalls. In the Big East, I mean, you've got a big-time matchup just about every night. So. Uh, I, I give the slight nod to the 2018 team. I think 2003 would be my number two. Yeah, uh, people don't uh, realize uh, how how good the Big East is. I mean, a road win in the Big East to bring out the Rossi's fireworks. You know, yeah. it's it's I mean, it's it's hard to win at Butler. It's hard to win at Marquette. I mean, DePaul. You know, they've been a little better lately. I don't know how they're going to be under Tony Stubblefield, but they can't. Uh, you know, they. They'll probably show some progress. Uh, I don't know. He, well, I hope they lose a, a key home game this year because my NKU Norse are headed up there to to play them in oh, Chicago. Really? Yeah, really. Yeah, they are. They are the Norse, not the Vikings. Not the Vikings, as Athlon Sports called them in their write up. Ticked that's me off Cle- a little. Bit. That's Cleveland State. Right? That's right. Yeah, and that's they had the Cleveland State write up a few paragraphs above. You thought they would have caught that, but geez, I mean, you know, that's like the old Canadian Football League when they had. The Ottawa Rough Riders and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. They, 
two teams in a nine-team league with the same nickname. Give me a break. Yeah, the lack of respect to the Horizon League. The Horizon League doesn't even have that. The the, the NKU are the Norse, not the Vikings. They so, are. I mean, you know, similar idea, similar concept for mascot, <laughs> but very different in, in name. So, all right, Andy, do you have a favorite road trip story from any Xavier away game in the '80s or '90s? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll do I'll do a quick one here. Uh, 1988, uh, Byron Larkin's senior year, Xavier playing a February, a March 1st road game at Niagara. All right. And, and the Muskies are very close to being rated for the first time in almost 30 years. It was the AP top 20 back then, not the top 25. And uh, Andy Mack is a voter in the AP. And I do a little politicking with my friends on the, on the poll. We do a little, you know, a little horse trading with our votes or whatever. They're right on the cusp of making the first top 20 cents the year after they won the NIT. Early in 59, they were rated. And uh, we go into Niagara, down at the half to Niagara. They got to win. If they win the game, they're rated on the, on the following Sunday. And uh, Byron went nuts in, in, the, in the dressing room, apparently. Uh, he, he went four straight possessions in the first half without out touching the ball. He's averaging like 28 a game. He got all over jumping Jamal Walker, and he, he sort of took over his point guard in the second half. Xavier came back and won it, I think, 90-83 and pulled the bacon out of the fire. All my hard work and lobbying for them is is uh, realized on that the net on Sunday when they're rated 20th in the country, the first time in 29 years they'd cracked that poll. And the only downside of that, Xavier had a really good walk-on from Coleraine High School, Jerry the Iceman Butler. I mean, this guy could play. All right, the game is won, but they're a couple seconds left. He launches like a 75-foot shot. It's clearly off in time. The ball goes in. The officials who are getting, you know, they're getting their checks from Niagara right after the game. They wash it out. I mean, I don't know if there was a betting line situation or whatever. It it went, it swished. And, and the Iceman, it would have been his crowning moment as a Xavier player. And they wipe out the basket. Brutal. And we, uh, uh, we're in, in Niagara Falls and uh, Dino Gaudio is an assistant. And, and Gillen was really, uh, big on this is a road trip no fun this is not a holiday any road trip they took it's always uh free throws and uh what was it free throws and uh and rebounding win on the road it was a harp 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 this is a road trip on the bus back to the hotel and dino went up to him on the way back from the street uh, coach can't we just go over and take a look at the falls you go all right 15 minutes, get out there. It was icy, it was cold, it was snowy, it was terrible. The falls were all frozen. Get out there and look at the falls. I'm, I'm on the bus, you've got 10 minutes, get back here. <laughs> so there you go, trip That's to Niagara. It. That's it, the trip to Niagara. What year was that? 1988. 1988. And why they're playing Niagara in March is beyond me. I think the, the coach at Niagara with, the, with this guy, I forget what his name was, he was a friend of Gillen's and, and he, he conned Gillen into uh, playing the game. Uh, they, they needed some, they had a little uh, tiny gym called the, the Taps Gallagher Center on the campus. You could see the falls from, from where they're, and they had a huge picture of Calvin Murphy, like a portrait at the end of the, uh, of, of this gym. He was a great player for Niagara. Uh, Xavier will play Niagara in the opener this year. Thank God Calvin Murphy is like <laughs> 74 years old, has no eligibility left. He will not be will not be playing for the Purple Eagles. Super, super senior. Super senior. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right. What, what, one more. This was the most upvoted question on the whole thing. We'll wrap it up with this. You answer it however you want. You know the people involved and you, you just brought one of them up. But what were your thoughts on the Chris Mack and Dino Gaudio situation at Louisville? I thought it was really a sad way to end uh, like a 30-year relationship. I mean, Dino was an assistant when uh, Chris transferred over from Evansville, I believe, and way back in the in the 90s. And then Chris had the the two uh, knee injuries, and uh, you know, but uh, you know, uh, Dino was a mentor for Chris at at uh, Wake Forest, and then uh, later on, but. Uh, I think Chris must have been an, an awful lot of pressure to uh, to make some changes from up top. And uh, I think Dino wanted, uh, he thought he had been promised 
as I understand it, one more year and he could re retire after uh, taking full salary. They might have moved him off the road and into a, uh, you know, one of those basketball, whatever support roles, support roles. But yeah. uh, he thought that uh, that was a that was a done deal. And then, you know, Pac could be Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. I mean, most of these great, great coaches are. They have tempers, and they didn't get into the NCAA, and he went ballistic in a meeting, I guess, right after with the coaching staff and maybe said some things he shouldn't shouldn't have. And, uh, you know, then, uh, then he calls Tino and uh, Luke uh, Murray in the next day and, uh, you know, and basically fires them. And uh, I think Tito lost his, you know, lost his perspective, lost his temper. He should never have uh, uh, threatened to, to extort. I mean, he was he was convicted. I mean, he got I think he got a lenient treatment, but he deserved it. He has a, a long, you know, successful crowd. Just unfortunate to see that friendship uh, erode. And I'm hoping that, uh, you know, Chris will. Uh, We'll get the ship together there. There's a lot of when you make six million a year. There's I mean there's a lot of pressure on you. And uh, you know I consider both of those guys friends, and I'm just sorry that their friendship is uh, obviously uh, uh, terminated at this point. Yeah, I, I just think it was a tough situation from the start. You mentioned Chris was walking into a pressure cooker. I mean you're replacing Rick Pitino, and you're doing it while having a giant cloud over your program, but. It hinders you in recruiting and makes life difficult on you. And you didn't have the same type of talent that was in the program for the last few years prior to that. So, I mean, he walked into a difficult situation. He was never going to be enough initially for this fan base based on what they were used to. And I mean, you add to that by getting a guy who had been out of the recruiting game for a while now. And I just don't know that it was the right fit, the right time when Chris was going to be under a ton of pressure and like you said, I mean, it's a, it's a sad end to a, a long relationship for sure. And there was that uh, transition here at Louisville between uh, Patino and Mac, which uh, basically they treaded water. I mean, uh, Dave Padgett, was it Padgett? Yeah. Uh, he, he could not recruit. I mean, everybody knew that he wasn't going to be there. So they lost a full year on the recruiting trail. And uh, the cloud over the program just continues to persist because – that uh, can has been kicked down the road here, yeah. Uh, as it has at uh, Arizona and Creighton, and uh, there's some other programs. North Carolina is, you know, taking their own their own uh, tact, and the, uh, I guess they told the NCAA, "Bafan Gula, you will do whatever we want academically. <laughs> That's none of your none of your business." But all all these these programs have been uh, uh, that that arbitration deal. Uh, they, they've delayed all this stuff. I mean, something's going to happen to Louisville. I mean, yeah, it's not going to be pretty. No, probably not. And they continue to pile on. It seems they never give the, the media rest. There's a new storyline every year. It seems like uh, embarrassing their, their school and their program. So uh, just, just more of that going on now, but Andy, this was awesome. Thank you for, for taking so much time and, and answering all these questions. There were like probably 12 more that I didn't even get to, but we've already been going for over an hour. So oh, I figured we'll wrap it up here, but thanks so much. And uh, we'll talk again soon, hopefully. Yeah, I'm an old retired guy and I like to ruminate on Xavier history and uh, it's all stream of consciousness, but uh, it's been a fun ride since 83 uh, for myself and for Joe Sunderman and, with Byron involved, we have we have a lot of fun. All right. Thanks a lot, Andy. Sure.